Man, thanks, thanks for being here. Uh, if you've come to, to hear about how bad things are getting in the world and to be depressed and feel bad about things, you're at the wrong place this morning. How many of you know we are called to be ambassadors of good news? That's, that is, new life is known for and we embrace the gospel. And the, the word gospel literally means the good news. And so that's the message we carry to the world, that, that there is hope for the future. There is something to look forward to. Jesus came to change things forever. How many of you know the cross was a key point in eternity? That it really was one way before the cross, and then Jesus changed things forever. So that's the message we carry. That's the good news we have for people. And I I trust that you're carrying that with you when you leave this place, uh, that we ought to be the ones that people look to for. I need some hope. I need some faith. I need to know what's going to happen to reassure myself. There ought to be something that Christians carry that we're the people that others look to for that kind of stuff. So thanks for being here. I, I was looking around the room and I'm like, man, I ran off everybody after talking about debt last week. So uh, how many of you have been here for at least one of our messages on money this January? All right. So you guys are the few, the proud. You're hanging in there. I appreciate it. We've been talking this month about super money, that your money actually has superpowers. And, and I have been purposely, we've been sharing these messages after we already received the offering. We, we didn't break out the offering plates again at the end, and we're not going to do it today because that's not how we roll. I'm not preaching about money to incite you like, oh, i got to give more in the offering now. So we've been talking about super money because it looks like natural money, but what happens when Jesus puts money in our lives, it becomes supernatural because we are supernatural people. And if we regard it that way, we find that it multiplies, it grows, it has different powers than just regular money when the world uses it. And you might have some in your bank account and not even realize it. So money's not bad, it's just a tool, it's a gift from God, and it's supernatural when it comes into our lives. And last week, we talked a little bit about debt, and and really I should have worked this phrase in last week, but, but the bottom line was debt is like kryptonite to money's superpowers. We, we want money to be supernatural. We want it to grow. We want it to expand. We want it to have all these powers in our lives. And debt is like kryptonite was to Superman. It gets weak. It can't do what it was meant to do and what it was sent to do when debt's around. So after last week, please don't be discouraged after last week. There is hope. There is a future. There are people in this room that can testify to what happened in their lives when they got debt-free. And so if you're here this morning and you were feeling that last week, be free. And, and look for a good future. And, and don't be like Dory after last Sunday. If you go to that next slide, I really need to save some more money. Oh, look, cute clothes. <laughs> how, many, how many are willing to admit we've ever done that? Like we resolved last Sunday, we're in service. I need to save more. I need to get out of debt. Oh, look at that thing in the store this week. So don't be like Dory. If you made a resolution to, I'm going to take steps to get out of debt, follow through. Have somebody help you stay accountable. Have somebody to encourage you. And uh, I was reading this week about uh, all the different political stuff that's happening, and I was reading about some people boycotting different companies because of their political stances and everything. And, And it really hit me this week. I'm like, you know... I need to boycott something. Like everybody else is doing, I should boycott something. So I've, I've decided to boycott companies that only sell products that I can't afford. <laughs> I think I'm going to be successful. That is a New Year's resolution I can keep this year. And uh, I'm all in. <laughs> oh, have you ever done that? Have you ever gone to a store and you go in and you don't buy anything and you leave? 
And it's like you're almost, you're feeling guilty. Like you're walking out of the store like, oh, just stay calm, be cool. Like you're innocent. You didn't steal anything. And they're looking at you like, where's your bags? Why didn't you buy anything? And I'm like, because I, I didn't find what I wanted or I couldn't afford what I wanted. So just be cool. You're innocent. It's okay. And uh, I wanted to, to share a little bit to, to wrap up this series today. Something, we talked about debt being like kryptonite last week. I want to share something with you that actually will enhance your money's superpowers. Something that when you do it, your money gets supercharged. It is, like, it is almost like Popeye eating spinach. How many of you remember that cartoon? I'm Popeye the sailor man. I'm strong to the finish because I eat my spinach. It's, it's almost like Popeye eating his spinach, and sometimes that, they would use Popeye's story to make little kids eat their spinach, right? You want to be strong like Popeye, and the kid's like, what is this? It's soggy, it's limp. We, we were in Africa one time, and our friend Justice said, no wonder people in your country don't like spinach. It's dead by the time you get it. It's been in the can, and, and like he fed us fresh spinach out of their garden in Africa. It was amazing, but that's what gave Popeye his superpowers, so whether we like it or not, it's like there's something good for it in us. This is what will give your money superpowers. Giving it away. (laughs) Say what? (laughs) Like that doesn't make sense, Pastor Chris. I went to the bank and they said I didn't have more money in my account after I gave a bunch of it away. Like, like really, is that the answer, that when we give it away, it becomes supercharged? And yes, it is. It is counterintuitive to the world. There is something about generosity that when it begins to flow in our lives, our money becomes supercharged. It begins to grow. We don't even understand how it works. There's generosity that flows back to us. And if you don't believe me, here is a promise. This is literally the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 6 and verse 38. It says, give generously... And generous gifts will be given back to you, shaken down to make room for more. How many of you ever did that when you bought something at the store or somebody gave you something like, let's shake it down. You go to the movies to get popcorn and you're like, oh, you dip that in, you shake it. There's more room for more popcorn in there. That's the picture right there. The blessing that you give out is going to be shaken down to make room for you to get more back. And it says this, abundant gifts will pour out upon you with such overflowing measure that it will run over the top. How many of you think that sounds like a good promise? Come on, God is the God of over-the-top blessings, over-the-top promises. I really think one day when we're going to get to heaven, none of us are going to stand before God and hear him say, you just preached me too good. I, I wasn't as good as you told people. You, you said I was abundant, I was a blesser, I'm a forgiver. I'm a, you, you just you made me out to be too good. Come on, how many of you think that you could preach God too good? It just can't happen. He is better than our wildest imaginations. He is the God of over the top. Man, look at your neighbor and say, over the top sounds good to me. Man, God, whatever over the top blessings you want to send to us, we'll receive them. But it starts with us being generous and being givers. And that verse ends with, your measurement of generosity becomes the measurement of your return. This is a kingdom principle that applies to more than just money. It it does also apply to money because that's what we're talking about. And that's actually the context Jesus was in. He was in the middle of talking his disciples about giving away your stuff and lending to people without expecting to be repaid. And then he drops that verse where he says, the measure that you use to give to others is the same way it's going to return to you. And if we're generous, we'll see over the top blessings come back to us. Jesus was implying that the motivation for giving matters more than the size of the gift. 
Come on, we, sometimes we think, oh, well, I just don't have enough to give and be generous. And that's not what God's after at all. He's after what's going on in our heart right here to start with no matter how much I have, I can share it with others. The, the generosity is what matters more in the eyes of God. He always looks at the heart, not the outward stuff. And that's what he's after in us, to see us be generous. And Jesus promises right there in that verse that if we are givers, we will also be receivers at some point. That sounds like good news to me that we were talking about. If we give, we will also receive. And according to that verse, generosity actually comes back to us and gives us an increased capacity to be generous because it returns shaken down and pressed together with room for more. How many of you ever thought of our giving that way? Like when we give, the blessing, part of the blessing that comes back to us is an increase in our capacity to be generous towards others. That, that is an, God was so smart when he knew what he was doing. I'm going to give you this gift that actually makes the gift grow in your life if you use it. That's an amazing thought, God. So that's what we need to do. That's what we're after. We're after being generous because that's what Jesus wants for us. And it doesn't make sense, but being generous activates our money superpowers in good ways. And uh, today, as, as thinking about those words of Jesus, I wanted to look at how one of his followers took Jesus' teachings to heart and actually talked about it with others. How many of you know that was part of the Great Commission? Jesus told them to go make disciples of all nations, teaching them everything I have commanded you. So I would expect that somebody somewhere taught somebody what Jesus imparted about money. And that's exactly what happened. We're going to look at one of Paul's letters uh, this morning. Uh, how many of you knew this? I, I wasn't even totally aware of myself. But yesterday is a day that they celebrate uh, Paul's conversion on the road to Damascus. It's the Feast of St. Paul's Conversion. Who knew that? But uh, I wanted to talk about him a little bit in church this morning because there, there was a guy that became a new creation if ever there was one, isn't there? I'm, I'm on the road to go to a city because I want to kill people. I want to imprison Christians and persecute them, and I meet Jesus on the way there. And his life is completely changed. He did a 180 from where he was going to who he became to be. So Paul knew a little bit about what Jesus taught, and uh, he wrote a few letters to this church in a place called Corinth. And we have two of them recorded in the Bible, two of the letters. And most scholars will tell you that those are probably the only two we got recorded, but he wrote several. And uh, if, if I get discouraged sometimes, I, I don't know about you guys, but sometimes leading a church, if I get discouraged about the church, I like to read Corinthians. Because there was some stuff going on. Can we just put it that way? There, there were some things that Paul, as the person that planted and established the church, he had to write them and address some things. And so if you ever get discouraged about what's going on, go read Corinthians. Uh, Paul wrote them a couple times about sexual immorality. He said, there's stuff going on in your church that even unsaved people aren't doing. How would you like to get that letter? Like, like, as we're reading Corinthians this morning, I want us to picture being an actual congregation that would have received a letter from somebody that, that was over the church or had established it, maybe one of the apostolic voices to us sat down and write us a letter. Think about being the congregation, hearing this letter read to you. And Paul writes some very real things. He, he actually wrote to them because they were getting drunk at meals where they were supposed to be fellowshipping and celebrating communion together. And he says, man, you guys, you guys are gluttony, you're getting drunk, and some people don't even have any food at all, they're starving. 
I'm, I'm just picturing, could you imagine being the guy leading the church, reading this letter to the congregation? Like Paul saying, and in this matter, I have no praise for you. It's like, maybe I could just skip that part and read to go down the next paragraph. Come on, Paul wrote them because they forgot to teach people in a way they could understand. They were excited. Holy Spirit had been poured out. He was moving. They had the gifts of the Spirit operating. They were all speaking in tongues. And Paul says, wait a second. I'm super excited that you're speaking in tongues. Paul says, in fact, I do it more than all of you put together. But when you come together, you ought to teach people in a way they can understand. He's like, I'd rather tell you five words that you could grab hold of and use than speak the whole time in tongues. So he's writing all this stuff, and just like any other congregation, they would have a bunch of new people, and they're trying to figure out what's this church thing looks like. He writes them about money. And I'm picturing them reading this letter this morning, and uh, they're getting this advice about money. I think it's insightful, but I, I was reading this today, and I was thinking, how many people in the world today, if somebody today wrote this stuff down or preached it, would be offended about the way Paul's talking about money? Because he's so frank about it and he's so in your face about what needs to happen. And so he's writing this letter to the Corinthians and he's already wrote a bunch of stuff that some of it was very encouraging, some of it was hard to hear. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, he starts talking about an offering that they're getting ready to collect. And I'm, I'm picturing reading this letter and, and the people today, I think if, if we were reading this letter in modern times, we just received it today, we would be like, I knew it! Here's the part where he's asking for money. Come on, it would be like those letters we get in the mail. I'm like, okay, it's nice that your ministry's doing this. Where's the hook where you're going to ask me for money? I just, I just picture we would do that with it because he's writing this. And, of course, that's if we read the letter. This, what Paul's writing in Corinthians would be like an 800-page email. <laughs> Have you ever been guilty of getting a message from somebody and writing the letters TLDR? Who knows, who knows what that means? Too long, didn't read. Don't write that to people. It's rude. <laughs> but I've seen it. I, I just picture if we got Paul's letter today, we might be tempted. Too long, didn't read. Just, just give me the bullet points, Paul. But he writes this letter because he wants them to grow. He wants to encourage them. So in chapter 8, he starts talking about an offering that they were going to receive for the church in Jerusalem because there were people living in poverty there. He's like, we're, we've talked about this for a while. We're getting to collect it. And the way Paul starts chapter 8 talking about this offering, he starts by telling them about another church that gave. I, I'm reading this from Paul, and I can't even imagine doing that. Can, can, you, can you pick, because this, this is not my comfort zone. This is not how I roll. Could you picture me coming in this morning and telling you, hey, we're going to receive an offering today, and I just wanted to let you guys know that the church down the street gave $10,000. What would you guys think about that? Because I'm picturing how it would feel saying it, and I'm like, ugh, like I wouldn't want to say that. But that's exactly what Paul does. He starts talking about this offering, and he says, let me tell you about the church in Macedonia and what they've been prompted to do. And not only does he say that, he says, this church in Macedonia, they gave when it hurt. They were an impoverished church. They didn't have a whole lot. And Paul actually says they gave out of their lack, even beyond their ability to give. And he's, he's not writing to the church in Macedonia right now. He's writing to the Corinthians saying, hey, we're about to receive an offering, but let me first tell you what this other church did. And they didn't have near as much money as you guys. Come on, these, are, these were real people having real conversations about real stuff. 
And Paul starts telling them about the Macedonian church. And, and he reminds the Corinthians then, he says, you've been talking about this offering for over a year. And we're going to come receive it. And so this is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8, 7. He reminds them they've been talking about this offering. He says, just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Man, and I don't know, I'm, you can't tell from the context, I don't know if Paul was being genuine, you guys are awesome in the faith, you're encouraging, or I don't know if he was saying it is a little bit of a jab, like you guys talk a good game about all these things that you do, but he does tell them, you need to also excel in the grace of giving. And what's, what's he saying in that verse? He's, he's essentially saying, put your money where your mouth is. You've been talking about what great Christians you are. And I, I see it. I see your love for Jesus. I see your care for us. And he says, now prove it by giving also. That's a hard word. That, that right there, I think a lot of people in, in the American church today would be offended and say, listen, that guy, all he ever does is talk about money. And he actually tells them, come on, even beyond saying, here's what this other church did, you need to also excel in giving. In the next verse after that, he actually tells them, you can go back and read the whole two chapters of 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 later. But he actually tells them, I'm testing the sincerity of your love by comparing it to the Macedonians and seeing how much you're willing to give. Ouch. Like, that's, that's the part, it's, it would be as quiet when they're reading Paul's letter as it is in here right now. Like that is, that is the part where all the Corinthians would say, ouch. And, and I read that verse, he's testing their sincerity of their love by comparing it to how others give. And it made me think, I finally found it, that it was biblical, this saying that I always tell my kids. Every year at Christmas and birthdays, what, what is the saying I'm known for? <sighs> Nothing says I love you like cash. I, yes, I have, as much as horrible as that sounds, but it's fun in our family, maybe. It's fun for me. That's all that matters. I, I say that to the kids every year because they're always thinking, well, what should we get you? What should we get other people in the family? I'm like, man, nothing says I love you like cash because you can go buy whatever you want afterwards. But I found it. It's in the Bible there. Paul says, I'm testing the sincerity of your love by how much you give. So I can tell my kids, here's this verse, I'm in the Bible. Uh, and Pam's giving me the look like that's not how it works. I, I, I hear Paul in this letter and he really is walking a tightrope between wanting them to be generous and see the blessings of God flow in their lives and, and wants them to do what they said they were going to do about this offering. But he's walking this tightrope between that and not wanting to put a guilt trip on them. Come on, because that, that is unhealthy in any situation and context when you feel pressured and guilted into doing something. So here's Paul walking this delicate rope like, hey, here's what this other church did. Here's what you promised to do, but don't feel guilty about giving. And he's telling them this because he wants them to be generous. That's really what God's after in the middle of it all is what's going on in our heart. How tightly are we holding on to our stuff and trusting in it for provision versus I'm trusting in him and holding tightly to Jesus. And Paul doesn't quote any Old Testament scriptures here, but he does give them some guidelines for how they should give. How many of you have ever been in church where you've heard the Old Testament preached about giving? Somebody whips out Malachi, says you're robbing God because you're not tithing, and then they, they're putting it. Paul doesn't quote that. He tells them this is how you should give. Second Corinthians eight twelve. he says, if the intention and desire are there, 
the size of the gift doesn't matter. Huh. Sounds just like he was discipled by Jesus. If the size and the intention of the, are there, the gift doesn't matter. Your gift is fully acceptable to God according to what you do have, not what you don't have. And isn't that a relief to some of us? Give from what we do have, not out of what we don't have. It's almost like Paul was in the service last week talking about credit cards. He says, don't do that. Give out of what you do have, not what you don't have. And he's telling them that God really looks at your heart. If the intention is there, the size of the gift doesn't matter. What did Jesus tell his disciples when they're standing in the temple one day and they're seeing all these people come put their offerings in the box? These Pharisees walking up with these huge bags of money and spices and everything. And then this widow woman walks up. She had two copper coins. Talk about having two pennies to rub together. And she puts those in the offering. And Jesus, all those other guys walking past, didn't move Jesus at all. But when that widow came up and put that in the box, Jesus grabs his disciples. says, did you see that woman? Those other guys gave out of their excess, but she gave what she had, all that she had, but it was her heart that moved him. Jesus said, she's actually given more in God's eyes than these other guys that put huge amounts in. God really does look at the heart. And that's what Paul is reaffirming here. If the intention is there, if we have generosity in their heart, that's what he's after. And he goes on to tell the Corinthian church, he says, you should give now when others are in need because there may come a time when you're in need and somebody else will give back to you. Again, echoing the teachings of Jesus. Hey, the measure you use to bless others is what's going to come back into your life. It'll be pressed down, shaken together, and given back to you. And then, as he's telling them this, he opens chapter 9 by telling them, I shouldn't even have to write to you guys about this, because you know about giving and what you promised to do. Come on, can you guys see this tightrope he's walking between you promised to do this, don't feel guilty about it, but I shouldn't even have to write you because you know what you promised to do. And so he's, he's writing this. He even says, I've been talking you up. I've been telling other people about how generous you told. Have we ever done that game? Have we ever won up like, oh, there's, there's this need that's happening or this charity and, and somebody's like, oh, I'm going to give $100. And you're like, oh, if he's giving 100 I could give more. And we talk this stuff up. But then when the time comes to actually put our gift out there, do we do it or not? And that's what Paul's reminding them. You, you talked about it so much that I told everybody else about it. And some guys from Macedonia might even come with me on my next trip to see if you guys are going to do what you said you were going to do. And in 2 Corinthians 9-2, he says, I keep boasting to the churches of Macedonia about your passion to give because you talked it up. And you said you were going to give. I tell them that the believers of Corinth have been preparing to give for a year. Your enthusiasm is contagious. It stirred many of them to do likewise. What's he saying there? He says, remember that church that I mentioned last chapter that gave sacrificially? They didn't even have that much to give and they went above and beyond it. He says, your promises to give are what stirred them to give an offering like that. Oh, Paul, you're really wanting our money, aren't you? Come on, how how many of you think this letter would offend some people in modern day church today? It's like Paul's talking about money too much and he's sounding pushy about it. But he says, these guys, come on, he, he even goes further. He says, these guys that brought my letter to you that you're reading right now, I sent them to make sure the gift that you promised to give was ready. 
Maybe I'm the only one that hears this and says, ouch, that's a hard word, Paul. It's like he sent the guys. This is, this is, this is Bruno and, and Louie, that they're here to make sure that your gift's ready. You, you made me an offer that we're not going to refuse. Like you said you'd give that much money, and these guys came to make sure it's happening. Oh, Paul's telling them, he also says, I wouldn't want you or me to be embarrassed. Because out of, out of the bottom of all these things, how many of you know it is a serious thing when we say, I'm going to do this for the Lord. I'm going to give this amount, or I'm going to volunteer here, or I'm going to do that. We need to be people that keep our commitments. And I think as, a, as an underlying theme of what Paul's writing to them in this chapter, he's saying, you committed to do something. As Christians, we need to be people of our word, and we need to do what we say we're going to do. And so that's what he's telling them. My, my buddies here are here to get this, and I don't want you to be uh, embarrassed, and I want it to be a willing gift, because that's where blessings are attached to it. And he goes on in 2 Corinthians 9, 6, again, echoing the words of Jesus, the principle of sowing and reaping. He says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. When we are generous people, it positions us to receive the same way. That whatever measure we use is the measure we're going to receive back in. And I I saw this quote this week. I thought this was really good. It was actually convicting to me, so I, I wrote it on the screen for us. Never suppress a generous thought. How's that for a word from God right there? Whenever you get that feeling or that unction like, oh man, I need to give to that or I need to help that person. I need to do this. Those are generous thoughts. I know that they didn't come from me. Because what's inside of my flesh is Mr. Selfish. My flesh says, don't give them anything. Put that in your pocket. My flesh says, sit there on the couch. They, they'll get help from somebody else. So those generous thoughts, they're coming from the Holy Spirit. We need, we need to listen to those things and those voices. Never suppress a generous thought. And, and remember that we receive from God. He may use other people to send the blessing to us, but it's coming from Him because our heart is generous because of what he's done for us. That's, I think that's part of why in, in Matthew, Jesus was teaching them one time. How many of you ever heard the verse where it says, don't let your right hand know what your left hand's doing? That was in reference to giving. That's what Jesus was talking about there. And he says, why, why do you do that? He's like, because your giving that is done in secret is seen by the Father, and he'll reward you for it. So there's something about we, we, we might put a check in the offering or we might give online, we might do whatever to whatever cause, whatever organization, but we need to view ourselves as I really am giving to the Father. And I, that's who I'm receiving back from. So Paul goes on, just a couple more verses I want to hit here. In, in 2 Corinthians 9, this is what he says in verse 7. He says, you must each decide in your heart. Everybody say that means me. He's, he's talking to individuals, and he says, you must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. There is something about our willingness to be generous that excites God Almighty himself. And I believe 2 Corinthians 9, 7, uh, you can debate me if you want to later, not here in the middle of service, but I believe that is the New Testament standard for giving. That, that is what God is after from us. Each one of us should decide in our heart what we're supposed to give. And you, 
And, and you'll get people that argue, well, what about tithing? How many of you know the word tithing literally means 10%? Like I, I hear people all the time, they say, oh, we're giving our tithes. And they think that it's just an offering. But tithe literally meant 10%. And you're like, well, what about the tithe that God talks about? And it says in Malachi, that verse, I've heard it preached. We're cursed if we don't tithe. Galatians 3 says, Jesus went to the cross and hung on a tree to take the curse for us. He became a curse to break the power of the curse. So what he did to the tithing in Malachi is he took away the curse associated with it. You are not cursed if you don't tithe. What Jesus didn't take away was the blessing associated with it. Because God also said, hey, test me in this. I'll throw open the windows of heaven and bless you more than you can contain. That's So for me, personally, we try to at least tithe. We go beyond that sometimes in our giving, but I do it not because I'm afraid God's going to smite me, that, that I'm going to be cursed if I don't give at least 10%, if I don't write my check to the last penny exactly 10%. That's not why I do that. I tithe because God still associates blessings with it, and I've seen it work in my life. We've, we've seen times where God supernaturally came through, and I don't know where the money came from or how the bills got paid or how food got on the table, but we've been faithful to give, and he's blessed us because of it. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Chris. That is a good word. That should free some of us up. Don't be afraid when you come and they, when we say, hey, we're getting ready to receive an offering. Don't sit there and be like, oh, no, I don't have anything to give this week. Like Each man should give what he's decided in his heart not reluctantly or under compulsion, because God loves a cheerful giver. There, there ought to be an excitement in us. Like every time we get ready to have, receive the offering, I'm excited to pull out something to put in the offering plate. There is a cheerfulness, there is a willingness that comes up in us, and I think that stirs God's heart. Committing to give is serious, but you're not going to give at New Life Fellowship because we put a guilt trip on you. We're, we're not going to do a second offering today. So be at peace. And this is what happens when we choose to give whatever it is. Come on, if, if you believe in New Life Fellowship and you believe people are encountering Jesus here and you love what we do, you'll give here. Because it's exciting to come to church and the lights are actually on, the heat works. Isn't, isn't that cool? Like, that happens because we give. So like, if you're a part here, you'll give something here, but you'll also be generous in all your dealings with people. And you'll give what, what God's put on your heart to give. Man, and this is what happens when we give, wherever it is. 2 Corinthians 9, 8 says, God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things and at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Our generosity causes His grace to increase and flow in our lives more than we need. When it says his grace will abound to you, that word there actually gives the implication of superabundance. It's more than you need, more than is even imaginable. God, why would you give us grace in that way? Like somebody else, now I've got it for you because I'm developing a generous heart in you. And the moment we give, the moment he pours that grace out on us, he says he'll give us all we need at all times and all things. All you need means that giving causes lack to disappear from our lives. We talked about money gets superpowers by giving. And that's what happens. When we give, lack starts to disappear out of our lives. And it doesn't make sense to the world. But in God's kingdom economy, it makes perfect sense. 
Hmm. He says, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. That is awesome. The next verse actually says, when we take your gifts, he's talking to the Corinthians, remember, he says, when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. Isn't that cool that our giving actually produces something in others also? This is the last verse I wanted to read today, 2 Corinthians nine twelve. He's talking about you'll give and then people will thank God. This is what he says, two good things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. Our generosity not only meets needs, but it produces glory for God. Isn't that cool? Like, man, I thought it was just a dollar I was putting in the offering plate. But it's got superpowers. It's a glory producer. It met somebody's needs, and it caused them to say, man, thank you, God. I'm so, I see your hand in my life, God, because you're bringing provision to me. Two good things happen when we give. So I want our money's superpower to increase this year. How many of you would like to see that happen in your lives too? Man, well, if, if that's what we want, then we need to figure out how to be generous and give. So that is the action item I have for you guys this week. Uh, all I want us to do at some point during this week, spend some time talking with Jesus and in prayer about it, but ask God what he wants you to give this year. How many of you know, if we just read a verse that says each one should decide in his own heart what he's supposed to give, that means you need to decide in your heart. You need to have a conversation with God and say, what would you like me to do with the money you've given me? How much would you like me to be generous with this year? Where would you like me to be generous? Who in my life needs some help? And when he speaks to you, this, is, this part's not on the screen, but I'll tell you, when he speaks to you, what should happen? You should do it. I love that, because that takes me off the hook. That's not Pastor Chris up here telling you this is how much you should give and, and where you should put your offerings. I've, I've, I've actually heard people have had bad church experiences where that has happened. I've heard horror stories of like, hey, they called us in for a meeting, and they sat us down, and they told us, we think you should give this much this year based on your income. I'm like, what? Like, that's not how this works. So that takes me off the hook. I didn't tell you an amount. I'm, all I'm telling you is pray, hear from God. What should I give? And do what he tells you to do. That's, that is the best outcome that could happen is we hear his voice and we act on what he tells us to do. And we will see grace abound to our lives. How many of you think that that's a good word? We'd, we'd like to see God's grace abound in our lives. Let's, let's go ahead and stand. We'll have the worship team come back up. I, I want to pray for us before we go, but... We will, we will also worship him on the way out this morning. Thank you, Lord. Can we just pray real quick? God, we just declare right now that our money is yours. Jesus, you, you are the Lord of our lives. You went to the cross with your blood. You purchased men from all nations. So we belong to you, and everything that concerns us belongs to you as well. God, thank you for any amount of provision that you've placed into our lives. Thank you for the ability to even earn wealth. But God, we ask that you would keep us in a place of humility where we know it came from you and that we continue to seek you for what we should do with it. Lord, I I ask that uh, this week as we spend that time before you asking that question, Lord, speak to each one of us. And when you do, let us see your faithfulness. Let us see that grace abounding to us as we choose to be generous. God, let us, as as New Life Fellowship, but as Christians, as representatives of Jesus, let us 
be known for being generous. God, let us be people that would meet others' needs so that they would give glory to you. Let, let us be ones that would be quick to say, you know, Jesus has blessed me, so I'm going to pass some on to you. Lord, we thank you for causing our money to grow so that we can be generous, not so we can spend it and lavish it in wasteful ways, but so that we can be generous and do what you've called us to do. Not for our own fame and glory, but so that Jesus would be made known in all the earth. God, we honor you this morning. We, we don't just give you our lives. We give you everything that concerns our lives as well. Be honored and glorified through us and in us, Lord Jesus. Amen and amen.